Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. And away we go. A new season of Stanford football is here. That means a new season of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. Hi once again, everybody. So glad that you are here and spending your time with us as we get ready for the Stanford Cardinals season opener against the Northwestern Wildcats. A 1 p.m. kickoff on Saturday afternoon at Stanford Stadium. Can't wait for that. I'm indeed Troy Clarity. Glad to have you along with us for our fourth season of TreeCast Podcast overall. It's been it's been a lot of fun doing these over the past few years. Looking forward to seeing what we can uh, uncover and learn together in the months ahead. We're going to have a lot of fun on the TreeCast as we always do. And we'll be joined by a couple of extra special guests. Stanford left tackle Walker Little. A lot on his plate, I believe, this year as well as the rest of the Stanford offensive line. Walker, a veteran of that uh, Tunnel Workers Union, this later this uh, latest edition. And um, we'll, we'll get his thoughts on what it takes to be a part of an effective offensive line and what they what those young men can do to improve heading into 2019. So Walker Little will join us. You'll hear his thoughts coming up in a few minutes. And also, my man, Scott Reese, the play-by-play voice of the Stanford Cardinals. Scott and I go back years upon years upon years and I cannot believe that this will be his first time being on this podcast so looking forward to getting Scott Reese's thoughts uh, on the season ahead and what he will be watching uh, when he is taking you through all of the action play-by-play wise on the Cardinal Sports Network so that is what's on tap for you on this edition of the TreeCast. In case you are new to the show this is indeed the go-to podcast for Stanford football. Congratulations on finding it. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to talk a lot of Stanford football. We're going to talk a lot about Stanford's opponents and the Pac-12, and we're going to do it in ways that really, quite honestly, no other Stanford football podcast possibly can. We have access to interviews. We have access to David Shaw. uh, We have access to press conferences. We have access to guests, all sorts of wonderful things that we've been able to accomplish over the last few years, and a couple of tweaks I'm looking forward to unveiling as this year's shows uh, get going. So you've come to the right place. If you want to hear Stanford football, if you want to talk it, uh, this is the place that you come in the podcast space. TreeCasts will generally come your way in a normal game week. That is a game being played on Saturday. But TreeCasts will normally come your way on either Thursday or Friday entering a game. And then again, we'll review the game with interviews and and analysis. Those will normally come your way on Sundays after every game as well. Now, things might get a little wonky throughout the course of the season. There's a Thursday game in there for Stanford in mid-October. And with my duties also as a Pac-12 Network play-by-play announcer for soccer, my season really starts to get going in a couple of weeks or so. That might cause some alterations to the posting schedule as we go. We'll, of course, uh, keep you posted, but uh, the best thing to do to make sure that you are always on top of every single show is to subscribe. 
We've been on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes since the beginning. You can subscribe uh, via there. You can also subscribe on Google Podcasts as well. And also iHeart Podcasts is also distributing uh, this show as well. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. So no shortage of ways that you can stay on top of things. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you rate. Make sure you review. Make sure you tell a friend. If you love the show, great. Tell the world. If you don't like the show, cool. Tell me about it, and I'll see what I can do to make it better in your eyes. Who am I? Some of you might be asking, and why should I listen to what this guy has to say about Stanford football? Well, this is my 27th season of following, covering, and broadcasting the Cardinal. Uh, Stanford grabbed myself way back in the 90s, an era that feels like it's longer and longer and longer ago as we go along. But I've seen a lot with this program. I've seen I've seen Stanford football reach some of its highest summits, and I've also seen it in some of its lowest moments as well. So overall, been through a lot following and covering this program, and it's still a pleasure to be able to do so uh, on game days with Scott Reese to my left and Todd Huzek on my right, helping those guys out uh, during uh, Stanford football radio broadcasts and filling in on the sidelines when John Platts uh, has basketball duties. So between that and my work as the Pac-12 Network play-by-play announcer, uh, and my sixth season there. Wow, how about that? Uh, a lot, a lot of fun. A lot of fun being a part of this and uh, enjoying uh, bringing another season of TreeCast here to you. All right, let's get to it. Uh, as mentioned, a couple of tweaks to this year's shows. And let's get one of them in here right now. Three things that you need to know. We will generally begin every single show with those three things. Let's start with... Well, Stanford football, as of right now, seems to be healthier this year, entering this season, than they were entering the 2018 season. Health, a big concern and a big reason why, even though Stanford had a good season overall last year with nine wins and and a bowl win to boot, uh, it it still wasn't quite what the season could have been. And injuries were a big, big part of that. Now, David Shaw at his weekly press conference on Tuesday when initially asked about the health of the team said, it's good. Everybody's up. Everybody's ready to go. Okay, all right. Smiles all the way around. Okay, that's pretty good. And that is good news. But further investigation and along the way later in the press conference, David Shaw dropped a couple of notes that Trevor Spates will not be able to go. One of the backup running backs uh, for the Stanford Cardinal. He will not be available this week um, against uh, the Northwestern Wildcats. And Stuart Head, safety for Stanford, um, he was he was called down. That that's that's David Shaw's way of saying that a player will not be available for that given week. He he was down. Stuart Head was, but when we saw Stuart at practice later on Tuesday afternoon, he looked out. Now I'm not a doctor, but. When you're walking around with a crutch and a big, huge contraption, some sort of brace at the very least on one of your legs, I would certainly say that you are out, certainly for that week. And that is, that's that's going to be something to potentially watch going forth. Depth, a big problem for Stanford, obviously, last year. And we'll talk a bit more about that uh, and the implications potentially uh, of that a bit later on uh, in the tree cast. But Stanford is, is, is healthier overall entering this year's season opener than they were last year. But still some question marks out there that, that kind of make you scratch your head and kind of hope for the best 
in that respect. All right, next up is Stanford versus Northwestern uh, is going to evoke memories of what happened the last time these two teams met. It was the season opener in 2015. It did not go Stanford's way. Northwestern with the 16-6 win. A lot of people still very unhappy about that. And I'll be honest, coming into this week, I was kind of expecting to hear a lot of people try to draw straight lines between 2015 and that result four years ago uh, to what we might see this week. Haven't seen that for the most part. Haven't seen many references to that game to this point. And that's a good thing because I think a lot of people realize that this ain't 2015. A lot has happened between that game and now. These are two completely different teams. Absolutely different teams. Stanford, by the way, did recover from that opening loss in 2015. And how did that season end up? Oh, 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 yeah, that's right. They were hoisting the trophy at the Rose Bowl at the very end of that year. So I was worried and a little bit concerned that I might see a lot of people start to worry about this game. Not because Northwestern appears to be a pretty good football team. More on them in a few minutes as well. But because of what happened the last time these two teams went around. This ain't 2015, folks. And also keep this in mind when Stanford faces UCF in a couple weeks as well. Because that UCF team is certainly a lot different now than they were back in 2015. I appreciate y'all not living in the past. Now let's get to... It's the opening week of the season. And I, I think... Already people are jumping into referendums about where things stand in the Pac-12 on the national scale. And look, let's face it, the perception of Pac-12 football as a product is not anywhere near its highest point. You could also argue, and I'd be willing to listen to that case, that is probably at a low point, uh, an era that that we have not quite seen for Pac-12 football on the national scale. A lot of folks are low on the product, especially when you talk to a lot of the, the national talking heads uh, that are from coast to coast that cover college football. And, you know, I mean, this is, you know, whether it's right or wrong, you've got Oregon versus Auburn coming up on Saturday. I'm looking forward to keeping an eye on that game as, we, as it goes along on Saturday afternoon after Stanford Northwestern is done. But I think it's unfortunate that I think a lot of people are going to base what they think about the Pac-12 as a whole based on what happens between Oregon and Auburn when they score off down in Arlington, Texas. And I think that's ludicrous, and I think it's silly. But when a team in the Pac-12 loses an initial conference game, somehow a lot of people seem to be too willing to, to draw a straight line to cracking on the entire conference as a whole. Meanwhile, conveniently overlooking a few other things, a few other skeletons in some other conferences' closets, respectively. Look. The ACC has the national champion in Clemson. Congratulations. But do you know how many teams the ACC had ranked in the AP's final poll after the teams were, had finished playing in January? Do you know how many ACC teams were in that final poll? Two. And the other team was Syracuse. I don't know which surprised me more when I learned that little factoid last week. Yet and still, no one's cracking on the ACC. And I think team for team, from top to bottom, the Pac-12 matches up better than the ACC. But ACC's got the champ to the victor goes the spoils. What are you going to do? But you know what's going to happen. 
if things don't go Oregon's way this weekend, and to a lesser extent, if things don't go Stanford's way this weekend, heck, we got the Holy War this week. And as I speak, that game has has not been played yet. Utah versus BYU. That's going to be a a dangerous game for the Utes. A lot riding on that game for the Pac-12 perception because some folks think that Utah not only could win the Pac-12, but also make the playoff. I almost fell off my couch when I saw Lee Corso's prediction of that last week. So I think it's unfortunate, but that's the world we live in right now where a lot of things are riding and the entire Pac-12 narrative nationally for the season is going to rest on this week. Oh, well, just go out there and win. That's all you got to do. Those are three things. And at the start of every single tree cast for this season, we will get you three things that you need to know. You've got thoughts, you've got reactions. I always welcome them, whether they're on the three things you need to know or anything else, Stanford football or TreeCast related. The best way is via Twitter. And make sure you give the hashtag TreeCast in your thoughts. That's the by far the best way to guarantee that I will see them. Hashtag TreeCast. You can also follow me on Twitter at Troy Clarity. Last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y, at Troy Clarity. Pleasure to bring those to you. And a pleasure to bring in guests, which we always tend to do during the course of every single TreeCast episode. We talk to the players, we talk to the coaches, we talk to the folks who who really help make Stanford football go. And this young man certainly qualifies as one of those folks who makes the program go. The offensive line has long been a major source of pride for Stanford football, and rightfully so, because as the Stanford offensive line goes, so goes the rest of the offensive efforts for the Cardinal. We have seen that proven time and time again, both for the positive and for the not quite so positive. You could say that it was mixed results in 2018, looking for much better results, certainly on the ground in 2019. The anchor of that offensive line is Walker Little. Started all 12 games last season, a unit that certainly underwent a lot of change and upheaval due to the injuries that uh, that that uh, unit suffered throughout the course of the year. A lot on Walker Little's plate on the Outland Trophy and the Earl Campbell Tyler Rose Award watch lists. And he is the leader of a Stanford offensive line that is is looking to get fully back on track for the 2019 season. After practice earlier this week, I caught up with Walker Little from Houston, Texas. And the first thing we talked about was the fact that, look, it's all led up to this week. The offseason, ever since the, the final whistle blew that day in El Paso at the Sun Bowl on December 31st last year, everything from that moment has led to this week. I asked Walker Little what's gone into preparation for this week facing off against Northwestern. We're all really excited to play this game. We've been going against each other for so long, so it doesn't take a lot to get excited for it. But just knowing the opponent, uh, there's defensive-minded team with the head coach being a defensive-minded guy, um, run-first kind of defense. So um, we got to give it our all to try to you know, open up holes for our running backs, and as well as that they have some really good pass rushers. Um, who are we trying to get after the court? We got to protect and try to, you know, play fast out there and play physical. 
Get your further thoughts on Northwestern here in a few moments or so. But overall, uh, when you look at last year, what are some things that can be improved on from the offensive line standpoint coming into 2019 from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, one thing we've been harping on a lot is uh, better communication across the board, uh, play to play, uh, being more physical, um, just from inside out, just uh, trying to dominate our opponent, both in the run game and the pass game. Um, and just trying to be a cohesive unit, you know, work together, combination blocks, um, working well together and really getting a good feel for things and, uh, you know, be able to just be a well-trained unit. Yeah, it always fascinates me, the brotherhood mm. of offensive linemen and all the, you know, you're all coordinated, all five fingers, all working together mm. as one hand, if you want to use that metaphor. Yeah. You know, what does it take? How, how, hard, uh, how hard do you have to work to be able to get everyone on the same page, five guys performing as one unit? What does it take to get there? Yeah, I mean, it just takes, uh, I mean, one thing is communication, just being on the, just talking a lot on the field. Um, and then off the field, just going through things together, you know. Uh, a lot of guys, I mean, a quarterback can kind of watch film on his own, see it all. But for us, we oftentimes like to go in there together because we like to see, make sure we're seeing things the same ways, uh, knowing how, you know, defense linemen like to play this, um, knowing how linebackers like to fit things. And it's just, you know, trying to do things oftentimes together, which is fun. I mean, we're all good friends, so it's easy to, you know, get in the film room together, work out together. But it definitely is. Um, a very uh, unit type of uh, position. Yeah, take me inside the O-line room. Who are the characters? Who are the, who are the serious guys? Uh, who, yeah. who are some of the, the characters on, on, this, on this offensive line unit? Um, I mean, uh, I'd say like myself, uh, Dylan Powell, um, Henry Haddis, uh, Foster. Uh, we're definitely more of the talkative ones. And uh, like Drew's definitely he's pretty serious. He doesn't say a whole lot in there. Devery's similar. Uh, he doesn't say a whole lot. But... I mean, all together, we're all good friends. We all, you know, shoot jokes every once in a while. Those are definitely consistent ones. How much camaraderie do you have to have with your quarterback? I and mean, you're, you're a left yeah. tackle. Obviously, people yeah, talk yeah. about the camaraderie between the yeah. uh, the chemistry between the center and the quarterback. But obviously, I'd imagine that you would have to have some uh, some chemistry with him as well. What are some things, and uh, as far as your relationship with uh, with the quarterback and the dynamic that you have to have there? Yeah, I mean, I'd say with the offense as a whole, but definitely uh, offense alignment as well. Uh, you gotta have a uh, some type of dynamic with the quarterback, where uh, knowing how he's seeing things, knowing uh, for us as O linemen, seeing how he wants to pick up a blitz, um, seeing you know how he's seeing the field, where he's going to be in the pocket, uh, and those kind of things that you get from both just communication with him, and also just feel both on the practice field, and then I mean obviously KJ's coming back. Uh, as a starter again from last year. So again, uh, game experience with him last year is definitely going to be helpful um, for this year, just kind of knowing how he moves around the pocket, uh, knowing where he likes to be and how he, how he throws the ball, how he steps around. Yeah, what, what sort of things excite you most about what this offense can do this year? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I feel like this year is just, uh, I, as an offensive line, I feel like we're really cohesive. This is probably the most cohesive group I've had since we've been here as far as just really communicating well and really getting on the same page. Um, and then and we have a great quarterback who can really sling the ball. Uh, Cam Scott's great running back. And we have some real threats on the outside, both from uh, Colby being a big you know, tight end who can get up there and score touchdowns. And Connor Weddington, you know, Michael Wilson, Simi Fahoka. Uh, he's got speed outside. So, I mean, really across the board, I'm just excited to see how things uh, turn out. Uh, this first game against Northwestern throughout the whole season for us. A couple last questions for Walker Little joining us here on the TreeCast and previewing Northwestern in a moment or so. But it's, it's hard for a lot of folks to truly evaluate line play. You know, there are no true 
seeming statistics. It's easy to, you know, evaluate quarterback play from that standpoint, but it's a little more difficult to, to kind of evaluate the nuances and all sorts of things that go into line play. So when you're grading yourself, when the coaches are grading you, what sort of things dictate success or failure from game to game in your mind? Yeah, I mean, run game is just getting removal, staying on blocks, um, being decisive with your block, uh, opening up, you know, the proper holes that, you know, we're supposed to be, uh, staying on combinations well, um, little things like communicating well. I mean, you might do the right thing, your guard might not because you didn't get the you know, right communication out, and that, that ultimately falls on you. Um, pass protection, obviously big things, you know, not letting up sacks, but also you know, trying to limit pressures, passing games off well, um, you know, being help for, uh, I mean, for me, for my guard, and for guards, for, you know, the center and tackles. Uh, it's just things like that, just, you know, getting your job done. Uh, ultimately, uh, for an offensive line, you know, every play. Uh, if you let up, you know, one sack or, you know, you open up a hole and the running back gets smashed, you know, everyone's going to know it and it's going to be on you. So it's really about consistency. All right, let's talk about Northwestern. This is a team, as you mentioned, holds its hat on its defense. It's been that way in this program for the last couple of decades or so. They won the Big Ten West last year. Could be a very dangerous defense again this year. What are some things that you think are going to be key to Cardinal success against the Wildcats on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think if we can, you know, rush the ball consistently uh, and open up holes against these guys, that'll really benefit us and really help us open up the, the passing game as well. I mean, these guys pride themselves on stopping the run. Uh, they have great linebackers, really good D linemen. Um, they're going to, you know, they're going to fit us up, they're going to play hard, uh, and that's one thing you see on tape is this group plays hard you know, throughout the whistle. Um, and that's something we're going to try to bring to the table as well. So, I mean, it's going to be a hard-nosed matchup, and uh, we're going to be fine for every yard, but that's, you know, that's just what you want in a, in a game like this. All right, as we wrap this up, where is the bar set for you, for this team, for this season? What's it going to take for you to look back at this year and go, hey, we accomplished what we wanted to accomplish out there? Yeah, I mean, we've really set our goal since you know, early in the offseason. Uh, uh, we want to win the Pac-12 North. We want to go with the Pac-12 Championship and win the Pac-12 Championship and uh, have an opportunity to go to the Rose Bowl or try to potentially get a playoff berth if, 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 if it's willing. Should be fun. It all yeah. starts on Saturday against Northwestern. Walker, appreciate you taking the taking time out. Love watching you play. Can't wait to see what you do for the rest of the year. Thanks, Thank Mike. Thank you. Appreciate it. And our thanks again to Walker Little for joining us on the TreeCast. All six foot seven, 309 pounds of them. Really enjoyed that chat. Hope you did as well. And it's certainly not going to be a little task for the Stanford offense. See what I did there? Against this Northwestern squad who comes to Stanford Stadium on Saturday afternoon, Northwestern won the Big Ten Western Division last year, had a chance to play for a Rose Bowl, lost to Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship, and they won that division despite not running the ball very well and having a lot of trouble stopping the pass. Now, that being said, they could be a lot better this year in a couple of key areas. Pat Fitzgerald, the head coach, you might remember him from his playing days back in the 90s with the Wildcats, helped lead Northwestern to a Rose Bowl in 1995. I still can't believe that happened. But Fitzgerald and the Northwestern defense, that is what the bell cow of this program is. The defense leads the way for this program. And uh, linebacker Patty Fisher, an inside guy, second in the Big Ten last year in tackles, be on the lookout for him. But the quarterback position for the Wildcats is the one to watch. You got fifth-year senior T.J. Green. He's in the mix. T.J., by the way, the son of Trent Green. Remember him? Didn't seem like his playing career was that long ago, did it? But really, all eyes are on sophomore transfer Hunter Johnson from Clemson, a guy who started off uh, his collegiate career at Clemson, lost the quarterbacking derby to some guy named Trevor Lawrence, 
How'd that work out for the Tigers? So after that, Hunter Johnson decided to transfer to Northwestern, sat out last year, and now he's in the mix for this year. Who starts for Northwestern? We don't know officially. I think the coaches know, but they're not telling us for obvious reasons. But the more important question is this. Which of those two sees more playing time? Uh, I'd be surprised if it wasn't Johnson, uh, given some of the skills and some of the some of the some of the things that he seems to be able to bring to an offense. A lot of people compared him very favorably to Trevor Lawrence and his skills, especially in throwing the football. And he was certainly one of the more highly recruited quarterbacks in the country when he came out of high school. So it would surprise me a little bit if Green got more playing time than Johnson. But it certainly is one of the more intriguing questions for this Northwestern team. And a lot of questions overall for the Wildcats, mostly on pass defense. If they haven't tightened things up from last year to this year, that could play in Stanford's favor in a big-time way. Now, of course, Stanford with some questions, too. Of course, it's the beginning of the year, and people have been been asking me over the last few last few weeks, well, what do you think about the team? What's going to happen? And so my short answer is, I don't know. I think it'll be a successful year, but overall, I don't know. My long answer is this. Some things to keep in mind. David Shaw says he prefers balance on offense, but above all, he prefers winning ball games. And now that he has a quarterback who can throw the ball 50 times in a game and win, I don't think he'll be adverse to that. You'll see some intellectual brutality the trademark of this program over the last decade or so. But don't be surprised if this offense leans a bit more on its passing game and K.J. Costello and that crew when it matters most. Speaking of the passing game, I I really like the Stanford passing offense uh, with K.J. Costello, the trigger man, looking forward to seeing how he can build on different uh, portions of his game from last year. But I'm also looking forward to seeing different facets of the Stanford offense this year. Osiris St. Brown going deep, Michael Wilson in the slot, Connor Weddington providing the run after the catch that I was hoping he would provide last year, but injuries short-circuited that track. And Colby Parkinson, of course, a big matchup problem. How about the running backs? How much more run are they going to get in the passing game than they have over the last couple of years? That could be a big part of it, too. And I think, you know, a lot of people like to talk about the, the evolution of the Stanford offense. We may get more answers on their approach to evolving for this season starting on Saturday, especially with the different facets that that Stanford perhaps unveils in the passing game on Saturday against the Wildcats. I, I like the quantity and the quality on the defensive line for Stanford. Hopefully the D-line makes it easier for Curtis Robinson and Andrew Pritz, the new inside linebackers, to get to the ball. Curtis Robinson moving in from outside. Andrew Pitt started his collegiate career at safety, but asked the coaches and Lance Sanderson if he could move to inside linebacker before spring last year. And it worked. He had some impact plays in the 2018 spring football game. I remember calling that for the Pac-12 Network. And Casey Tuhill is going to ruin some quarterbacks' days. <laughs> I can't wait to watch that. Tough schedule for Stanford? Yes, but not totally unfavorable. Oregon and Washington games are at home. SoCal and Notre Dame. It's an odd year schedule, you know. And Stanford tends to do pretty well inside the eucalyptus curtain. But two hidden games to watch out for? At Oregon State, September 28th, in between that Oregon game and the Washington game, they got to go to Corvallis. If that ain't the definition of a trap game, I don't know what is. And also, Stanford seems to have relatively tough times coming out of Corvallis recently with easy wins. They should have lost that game up in Corvallis two years ago. Thank God for Harrison Phillips. 
That's one hidden game to watch out for. The other one at Washington State, November 16th in Pullman. For Stanford to do what it wants to do in the North, they got to beat the Cougs for the first time since 2015. And Stanford probably could have lost that game very easily, you might remember, up in Pullman four years ago. So watch out for those road trips to Oregon State and Washington State. Biggest question to me is this. Does does this team have the depth to make this a big-time season? Well, offensive line, there's only seven guys listed across all positions on the two-deep. Okay? There's not much depth behind the inside linebackers who are brand new to this position. Okay? There's not much behind Malik Antoine in the safeties. Stuart Head would be nice. That would be, it'd be nice to see him up and healthy and ready to go. But as mentioned, he was walking around practice the other day with a crutch and some sort of apparatus on one of his legs. That's not cool. Remember the second half of the Alamo Bowl after Justin Reed went down and how much of a struggle it was for Stanford's secondary to hold things down and to keep TCU in check? Does Stanford have the depth you need to make a big run and to make this a truly big all-time season? It doesn't look that way to me right now. And because of that, injuries, more than anything else, are going to dictate big-time success, smaller-scale success, or failure for Stanford this year. All of those are within reach, by the way. Although the most likely outcome to me is smaller-scale success. Another bowl, an 11 straight bowl, and a pretty nice one, too, being in the mix for the Pac-12 North at the very end of it. That, to me, is the most likely outcome for Stanford this year. But I'm not ruling out bigger things. And depending upon how the, the health of the Cardinal holds up, I'm not necessarily ruling out some tougher things as well. We'll see. We'll see. Can't wait. And I'll be spending much of the season watching Stanford football with two of my favorite guys to watch Cardinal football with. I'll be up in the radio booth with Stanford radio color commentator and former quarterback Todd Huzak on my right. And our next guest on my left. You know him as the play-by-play voice of Stanford football and men's basketball on the Cardinal Sports Network. My man, Scott Reese. And I cannot believe, we go back years, and I, I can't believe that it's finally taken us this long uh, for me to get him on the tree cast. Let's talk to Scott Reese as he and I caught up with each other earlier this week. All right, Scott, here it is. Another season about to begin. They just keep on coming, and they seem to keep on coming more quickly and quickly. Your, your overall thoughts coming into the season, obviously last year, a bit disappointing in some respects, but still, Nine wins, a bowl, grand scheme of things, still things still went pretty well. Your overall thoughts coming into this season? Well, first of all, when you talk about the program, and we say this all the time, you know you're in a good place when nine wins and a bowl victory and there is any semblance of disappointment, right? You know you're in a, a good place, big picture. Um, that said, I'm fascinated by this year because when you take into account you know, the unknowns, the attrition, guys leaving, I would say early, but guys who didn't return for a fifth year, guys who left for the draft and graduation, uh, and, and you factor the schedule, I think this is a high beta kind of year. I mean, you could see major upside with this team. I think the upside is the same as it always is and that, you know, you win the conference, go to the Rose Bowl. Uh, but, you know, you also can see some landmines and there are some questions at a lot of spots. So uh, I am fascinated to see how this all unfolds. There's a lot of position groups where we really don't know what we have, but we hear rumblings and now we're, we're excited to sort of see it play out. Yeah, overall, what is your biggest unknown with this team right now? I think it's the middle of the defense. Uh, and, you know, with you have to mention the receiving core just because when you're replacing 
the production of Orsega Whiteside and Trent Irwin and Caden Smith. I mean, you have to say, wow, that's you know 130 catches, whatever it is. How are you going to replace them? But we know they've got talent at that position. We know they have Colby Parkinson, who's one of the elite tight ends in the nation. I think for me, it's the middle of the defense, inside linebacker. You know, we hear stories about the emergence of, of Jacob Mangum Farrar and Ricky Miezan in camp. We want to see it now translate to games. Uh, and at the safety position, I think Malik Antoine's a known quantity. But other than that, you know, you really don't know what you have. And you're going to play teams that like to attack the middle of the field. So that, for me, is sort of what I'm watching big time in week one. Certainly, perhaps the biggest known quantity for the Cardinal is the quarterback position. When you have a quarterback, you can certainly achieve a lot of things during the course of a season. K.J. Costello grew in leaps and bounds in some respects from 2017 to 2018. And he likes playing quarterback. He likes all the things that that, that come along with it. Uh, what are some things that, that you would like to see from K.J. in this upcoming year and some things you suspect are on his plate for the season? Well, first of all, he doesn't just like playing quarterback. He likes being in college. You know, you can tell, and, and, he, and he wins the press conference, and I love that in a quarterback. And, and he's, he's upped his press conference game from a year ago as well. Um, K.J. was so good last season, maybe didn't get quite the national recognition of some of the other quarterbacks, but he's one of the top five or six quarterbacks in the nation, I have no doubt. Uh, you know, you, you want to see how he compensates for the loss of guys, especially like J.J., who was such a security blanket and made so many tough catches in traffic. You know, you wonder if you have a mere mortal receiver instead of our Sega Whiteside, you know, how much does that completion percentage go down? So, uh, you know, you hope that KJ is better this year than he was a year ago, and I think he will be. Um, I hope to see him um, use his legs a little more in the first half of the season that he did not a year ago because he's a, he's a capable scrambler and runner, and that adds another dimension to his game. Uh, but just, you know, the mental leap that you expect and you hear him talking and you see in, in fall camp, I, I expect he's going to have a monster season. It's going to be fun to watch. Obviously, no Bryce Love, the, the fantastic things that he was able to do, and one of the bigger question marks is going to be, how are you going to replace Bryce Love? And it always amazes me whenever people try to figure out how you replace a great running back. And we, you know, Stanford's been in this position before with Toby Gerhardt and, and Christian McCaffrey. They always try to want to pin it on one guy and try to pin it on one person who has to replace that previous great running back. Uh, are you placing it all on Cameron Scarlett, or do, or do you also have confidence that guys like Dorian Maddox and some of the youngsters like, like, like Jones can also come to the forefront here as well. Um, I am not placing it all on Cameron Scarlett, and, and I'll come back to that, but, but for me, you know, the, the optimistic view of this isn't you lost a, a generational running back in Bryce Love, how do you replace him? It's last year we were 120th running the football, so really the bar is low if you're looking about improving the running game, and I think that Stanford will be a lot better than 120th this year. Uh, part of that's the offensive line. They stay healthy, and it's a big upgrade, um, but I like the committee, and you know, everybody would love to have one bell cow back, and, and a Christian McCaffrey, a Toby Gerhardt, etc., Stephon Taylor, who just, you know, takes the offense and the, the, the conference by storm and does everything, but you got to play the hand you're dealt, and I think in Stanford's case, you've got a Cameron Scarlett who can do things. He's not the most explosive guy, but boy, he's fundamental. He can get you four or five yards. He's a great receiver out of the backfield, and he's smart. He's been here five years, so I think as a starter, you could do a lot worse than Cameron Scarlett, but you also look at the depth chart, and you see a Dorian Maddox who, you know, raved about in the, in the press conference on Tuesday is, you know, the guy who's maybe had one of the best camps of anybody on the roster, and Frank Frankly, he flashed. The little bit he played last year, we kind of thought, he's ripping off 8-10 yard chunks when he touches the ball. So I'm excited to see if he can take that next step. And the two freshmen, we've seen them in, in camp. Look, there's a big difference between August and October, November. But man, Nathaniel Pete looks like a blur. And if you can get that guy in space, they can find ways to get him the ball. I think he can be a real weapon. And Austin Jones, I think, is an X-factor as well. Another guy who looks like he could do a little bit of everything. So, you know, 
You don't have Bryce Love, but you have a lot of guys with a lot of potential, and I think of that group, we're going to see some players emerge. Is there one player upon which you think this entire season hinges? Could be an obvious guy, could be an under-the-radar guy as well. Is there one player that, that you're kind of pinning kind of the, that, that fine line between a good season and a great season on potentially. Uh, okay, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor your question because the cop-out would be, well, there's this guy and this guy and this guy on offense, but I'm going to give you one guy, Curtis Robinson. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Curtis Robinson because of the aforementioned questions at middle linebacker. Sure. He is the one guy who's sort of a known quantity because we've seen him as a playmaker at outside linebacker, but we don't know what he's going to be at inside linebacker. They need that guy. Right, I mean, all these great Stanford teams of the last decades, you know, you had a Shane Scove, you had an A.J. Tarpley, you had a Blake Martinez, you had that stalwart middle linebacker that you sort of built the defense around. Stanford hasn't had that guy the last couple of years. Not to take anything away from Bobby Okariki and Sean Barton. They were terrific last year. But if, if you need one guy to step up and be that man in the middle, I think Curtis Robinson has to be it. So for me, as he goes, I think this defense will go. And as the defense goes, I think maybe this team will go. Yeah. Throw Blake Martinez into that mix Yeah, I, as I well. mentioned him. Yeah. 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 Okay, I wasn't listening. Oh, yeah, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> as many years as we've worked together, you'd think I'd be listening you, to you You started by tuning now. me out years ago. <laughs> Uh, let's widen the shot here a little bit. Pat 12 going to be tough. The North is always tough. It's a gauntlet. A lot of folks are, are, are going to have their eyes on, on Eugene and maybe to a lesser extent Seattle. Stanford could very well be in that mix. Who knows what's, what the Washington State Cougars are going to do. If Cal can figure out a way to score, then, then, then who knows where they might be able to go. Overall, where do you see things in the Pac-12 North shaking out at this point? You know, it's funny because, again, Washington State is always an afterthought, and they're always right there you know, winning nine games and threatening to win more and being in the mix. Um, but, you know, this is the state of the Pac-12 North right now. Stanford is a perennial power, and until Stanford, you know, is knocked off, I don't want to say it's perch, but, but it's still they're not – until they're not in the top half, for me, they're right there with Oregon and Washington. Um, you look at the Ducks and all the talent and the offensive line and, and, and everything they've got coming back with Herbert. You know, I think they're probably the favorite by a slim margin, but it's really slim. And honestly, if you're Stanford, you talk all about the schedule and it is daunting and, and the non-conference is brutal and all that. But, hey, I got Oregon and Washington at my place, right? So I feel pretty good about my chances in the north. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the schedule, your initial thoughts. And there's a lot, been a lot made of it, how tough it is. You got the Big Ten West champ. Champions coming in here to start at USC, then at UCF, back to back. Enjoy Central Florida in, in, in mid-September. That, that that's all you guys. And it doesn't. I'm really going get... to Disneyland, man. Oh, Disney World. Excuse me. There you go. And it doesn't get exactly much easier from there as you start getting into Pac-12 play. Going to be interesting to see how things shake out, especially in the early going. Where do you think the bar is set? Where do you think Stanford needs to be by the end of September for them to be in a good position to make big things happen at the end of it? Yeah, that's a tough question because I don't want to undersell the program by saying, well, if you can escape at 4-2, and two, then you're in good shape. And, and, you know, if you talk about numbers, that's probably an accurate assessment if you look at the back half. But nobody in this program is looking at it and saying, man, if we only have two losses in the first six weeks, we're feeling great because, you know, nobody wants that. So, no, I think you got to take it week by week. If you look at this thing in totality, you know, you kind of get inundated with, uh, oh, my gosh, and, you know, Northwestern and UCF and USC and Washington and Oregon. And you got you got to take them one at a time and just know that on any given day, Stanford can beat whoever they are playing. I mean, that's a fact. They are good enough to beat anybody on this schedule, but there's a lot of landmines.
teams, they're going to have to bring their A or at least B-plus game, I think, every week in order to accomplish what they want to accomplish. It's amazing when you talk about what this weekend means, going back to the Pac-12. Obviously, Oregon's carrying the torch as they face Auburn. And, and whether it's right or wrong, I think, unfortunately, the, the narrative about the Pac-12 is going to be based largely on the result of that game. And maybe even to a lesser extent what happens here against uh, Stanford and Northwestern, because Stanford, this is, the, the I guess, the second marquee interconference matchup for the Pac-12. How much do you think this result on Saturday could potentially uh, be a factor in the narrative for the rest of the conference for the rest of the season? First of all, I think the Pac-12's reputation is already irreparably damaged because Khalil Tate didn't get one more yard and beat Hawaii. <laughs> Clearly. Right? So I, I, don't know how, I don't know how you come back from that. Um, and yes, much like last year with the Washington-Auburn, now it's Oregon, Auburn, and, and, and all eyes will be on that. Um, I, I don't think the entire—I think that it's overstated. We're oversimplifying you know, the national pundits who say the entire you know, reputation of the Pac-12 you know, hangs in the balance of that one game. But, you know, last year it wasn't just the one game. There are other games, and Stanford Northwestern is one of those other games. And when it comes right down to it, you got two teams that are similarly ranked, right? Stanford's 25 in the AP, Northwestern, I guess, would be 30 if you go down to the also-receiving votes. So these are the games that, for conference credibility, you got to win more than you lose. So I think, you know, the entire Pac-12 will be, uh, you know, bleeding Cardinal on uh, on Saturday and hoping for a Stanford win. And and obviously it's it's a huge game, not just for the national Pac-12 reputation, but for the, the sort of stepping stone for Stanford season. This isn't your first rodeo. You've been the radio play-by-play voice for the Cardinal for, this will be how many seasons now? Seven. This seven. is year seven. Well, how much fun have you had? <laughs> being a part of all of this from the perspective that, that you've been able to gain over the last seven years now? I mean, you, you start with being able to call football games and how much fun that is. Then you you take it up like 42 notches by calling games for your alma mater, who, of whom you're such a fan anyway, and sit in the booth and travel with the team, and that's just a dream come true. And then... You know, you factor in where we've been over the last decade and getting to, to, to call Rose Bowls and getting to, to call games with, you know, guys like, you know, Christian McCaffrey and, and Bryce Love and these, you know, incredible players that we've seen over the last seven seasons. So, yeah, no, it's, it's pretty cool. And there's not a day that I take for granted how incredible it is to do what I do and to do it at this school. All right, Scott, last thing for you here. The season opener against Northwestern, still a few days out as we speak. Uh, your overall read and some things you might be watching as things unfold on Saturday afternoon against the Wildcats? First for me is what kind of game plan offensively does Stanford come out with, right? Because we know what they did the first half of last year, and it was clunky a little bit, right? And, and then they, they opened things up in the second half, and the offense flowed a lot better. Um, and this is a Northwestern team that on paper – you can throw against them. Running against them is really difficult. So, you know, the novice offensive coordinator says, all right, well, come in, come out and chuck the put- football like you did last last year in the, the back half of the season. I don't know if they will do that. I know they want to get back to, you know, the, the DNA of the program and establishing the run. So for me, that's that's what I'm looking forward to is to seeing the game plan, how they come out. Uh, and the other thing, obviously, with Northwest, Northwestern, you don't know who the quarterback's going to be because they're not telling us, but I would be shocked if it's not Hunter Johnson, at least in a, a major capacity. Uh, with all due respect, to T.J. Green, who's an upperclassman and the son of an NFL quarterback, and I get that, but Johnson is a five-star kid. He was the number two passer coming out of high school at the quarterback position. Uh, they didn't, you know, he didn't transfer to Northwestern to be a backup, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see if how much he plays and what he brings to the table. Oh, should be fun. I'll do a much better job of listening to you on Saturdays. <laughs> no, you'll, be no, immediately, you <laughs> you'll be immediately to my left at the, at the booth at Stanford Stadium and for, for much of the rest of the season. Always a pleasure. Thanks a bunch. Have some great calls. Can't wait to see how it all shakes out. Look forward to it, Troy. Good stuff from my man Scott Reese, the play-by-play voice of the Stanford Football Radio Network.
Network, also known as the Cardinal Sports Network, as uh, he and Todd Huzak will take you through the season. Looking forward to being with those guys for most of the way. I'm not going to Florida. I got a uh, Pac-12 network uh, soccer doubleheader the next day. So not going to be able to pull off that trip to UCF, unfortunately, but uh, I'm sure you'll be in good hands uh, when the Cardinal uh, head out to uh, UCF with Scott on the call for that one. All right. As mentioned earlier in the show, we've made a couple tweaks to the TreeCast for this year. Some things to hopefully keep the shows fresh, keep you engaged other ways to present compelling content and all those sorts of things. We gave you three things that you need to know earlier in the show. Right now, we're going to give you another tweak for the program, and it's called They Said It. And the premise is is pretty simple. Uh, I'm going to give you one quote from a Stanford player or coach that I found particularly quote-worthy. We'll do that every single week here on the TreeCast. And because it's a new thing, I'm going to give you two. The first one is from Stanford quarterback K.J. Costello, who is no stranger to microphones. He actually enjoys talking to us in the media. We certainly appreciate that. Very glad that he could drop by and spend some time with me at Pac-12 Football Media Day back in Hollywood in uh, late July. Uh, Listen to that chat if you really want to uh, go back to that one. But K.J., during the uh, Stanford Weekly Press Conference on Tuesday, was asked if he thinks he gets as much notice as another certain quarterback up in Eugene. I don't really have much time to think about that. Um, Obviously, you know, um, do I go with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder to Oregon when I know, you know, who who everybody's been talking about? Of course, I think everybody would. Um, I think this year, you know, it's it's, I try to always put the chip on my shoulder, so not much is going to change. Um, but I am going to try and you know play with a passion and energy for my teammates. <laughs> Interesting. KJ doesn't watch a lot of TV. He doesn't pay attention to a whole lot of things outside of what he needs to do. But yeah, he's he's a bit aware that Justin Herbert has a bit more press and a bit more pub, and uh, more folks are talking about him as the better quarterback in the Pac-12. KJ would love nothing more than to settle that debate. Once and probably for all, at least on the collegiate level, when the Cardinal faced the Ducks on September the 21st. Not only did he say it, but David Shaw said this, as we're going to give you two quotes on They Said It This Week, as David Shaw, of course, was asked about the sudden retirement of Andrew Luck from the Indianapolis Colts. Um, and look, we're not really going to get into that. We've, I'm sure that it's been talked about ad nauseum for the past few days since that story broke on Saturday. However, I will offer this as David Shaw offered up a pretty timely and I thought pertinent and perfect reminder about Andrew Luck discussion. I've had to do this for myself and I'll do this for the room also. He's not dead. <laughs> right. Everybody talks about him like these are eulogies. It's not a eulogy. <laughs> Guy's done playing football. He's 29 years old. He's got a lot of life to live. Um, mm-hmm. He's got a lot. He's got a lot to give this world. It's not going to be on a football field. Um, so, with with the, the appropriate amount of sadness that we don't get to go see uh, a virtuoso, right? Which is what he is. Um, but then also the eagerness and excitement um, to to see what what comes next for him and and you know, selfishly for me, I'm I'm excited that uh, I still you know get to hopefully be a part of his life um, and be a friend and uh, be be a sounding board for, for that next stage of his life. So um, I'm excited for him. Well said. Well said. 
And I really, quite honestly, don't have anything to add to that. That's our first episode of They Said It. We'll do that every single week. Part of our, I'm not going to call it a new look or anything like that, but, you know, just just adding some things, experimenting here a little bit and uh, making sure that uh, that you are on your toes and uh, getting the information that you need and want whenever you listen to the TreeCast, which we certainly appreciate. If you have not done so yet, please subscribe to the TreeCast. We're on Apple, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts as well. Uh, iHeart, as mentioned, is also is also distributing this podcast as well. Thanks to those guys for that. And you can follow uh, the TreeCast on iHeart as well. But uh, Apple Podcasts, subscribe. More importantly, rate and review the shows. I always appreciate your honest critiques and your honest opinions on the show. Uh, Subscribe, rate, and review. I cannot uh, stress that process enough as we keep going. And also, tell a friend or, heck, Telephone too. I need all the listeners. I like all the listeners I can get. <laughs> you know, so uh, yes, tell everyone that you know about this uh, podcast so uh, we can do uh, big things together on the TreeCast. And hopefully we're talking about a lot of fun and fantastic things. And I think we will overall, but this should be a, 20, a fun 2019 season. Looking forward to chronicling it all once again. I'll put the wraps on this episode of the TreeCast. Special thanks to our guests. Walker Little, the Stanford left tackle from Houston, Texas, and Stanford football and men's basketball radio play-by-play voice, Scott Reese. Our thanks, as always, to them uh, for joining us on the show. My thanks, as always, to you for checking us out on the program. And don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review. We will likely see you on Sunday and uh, put the wraps on all the things that we see between the Stanford Cardinal and the Northwestern Wildcats. So 1 p.m. Ki- a what? Wait, what? Really? A 1 p.m. kickoff? It's it's not it's not at 7:30. Oh, okay. All right, I'll take it. A 1 p.m. kickoff on Saturday afternoon at Stanford Stadium. Looking forward to the game and looking forward to be back being back with you uh, on the TreeCast, which will likely come your way next on Sunday. Especially this being a holiday weekend, I say this every week, but especially keep this in mind for this upcoming weekend. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. We will see you next time. Thanks for checking us out on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.